registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. All right, Rocky, thank you so much for hopping on today. I'm really excited to have you talk about this topic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about yeah. skin and nutrition and all that jazz. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit more about you because I know you mentioned kind of how you got into this field seems to be maybe a passion stemming from your own struggles with skin health. Um, and it seems like you wear a lot of hats right now. You seem like a very busy person. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm used to wearing a lot of hats because my profession starting off was actually in acting. So I'm an actress. I'm used to wearing different, I guess you can say roles. And so I studied theater when I was an undergrad in anthropology. I always had a knack for health, but I realized, you know, going like the medical school route was just never for me. I was much more of a creative free spirit. Um, so when I was coming out of undergrad, I actually started doing more the uh, out of theater to film stuff. So my skin is the first thing, of course, that I was just very insecure about because I have a history with a skin condition. So I have eczema and I actually work with clients who have eczema and psoriasis. And we can talk about topical steroid withdrawal, which is also a uh, condition that is not really recognized in the medical community. So I kind of help that subgroup population myself. So yeah, it was it was actually really all out of vanity, really, that I, I switched careers and I'm a, I'm a second career dietitian now. I, I went to a dietitian in my early 20s when I was struggling with my skin mm. and thinking like, okay, well, this is like something that I've never tried before. I've never tried nutrition. I've only tried steroid creams or immunosuppressants, only gone to a dermatologist. Did a little bit of, um, I guess you could say, Eastern medicine since my family background is of Indian Bengali descent. But I never took, you know, nutrition um, as a, like, a, you know, an ally or supportive way to help. I had food allergies when I was younger, but I, I just never explored it. And then I went to a functional dietitian. And that's when I saw actually the most improvement. Um, it's not like I was cured, but it was just, just like the transformation. I'd never seen my skin color or tone come back. That's another thing. So I do, I, I am melanated skin. I do serve a population um, that really gets misunderdiagnosed, especially when it comes to eczema. It's uh, a lot of people uh, who go to a dermatologist, they're their derms really study Caucasian skin. The research mm. is on Caucasian skin. And they don't recognize that red does not show up sometimes in brown skin. Mm. It can look purplish or it can look grayish. So, um, and this is a, a true story. When I was younger, my mom just thought I was in the sun a lot. She's like, oh, you just look really tan. But it was clearly I was full body flared. I was mm. quote unquote red but you couldn't see it because of the melanin. So it was masking it. So when I actually did work with his dietitian, 
I was like, did I just get five shades lighter? I just don't understand. I'd never seen my skin that way. And it was just shocking um, that that was just in the form of inflammation. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I hope that the listeners can spread that information and that awareness because yeah, that's a really important point. And can people can be going misdiagnosed because of that? Yeah. And there's, there's, um, I think skin of color society, there's some dermatologists out there now that are speaking up about this with a lot of different conditions, how misdiagnosed they are just because a lot of the research really is just done on Caucasian skin or Caucasian males. And it just presents so differently, you know, so it's, it's one of those areas that I found a niche in. Um, so a lot of people do end up coming to me for that. Well, we're grateful to have you and hopefully they can, you know, do what they should be doing in the research and we'll see some updates hopefully in the next few years. Yes. Um, So that's awesome. I definitely can relate in the sense of going into this field for selfish reasons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you that I personally had pretty bad acne when I was in, I think, middle school into high school, mostly. Um, I saw my sister go through rounds of Accutane. I was on antibiotics. And same situation, it was always being treated topically. And I think that's where most people, and you mentioned your clients come to you probably being treated topically. I had the same situation in terms of the clients that I see. They're often saying that they're on some sort of cream or some sort of antibiotic to address their psoriasis or eczema. And it's so common, right? It's so common and it can be really uncomfortable. You know, people obviously you were in a field where you were an actress and it was something that, you know, you were being put on the spotlight, but I think just, especially as a human being, like we're more self-conscious about those types of things and um, they can make us feel really uncomfortable. So. Yeah. And it's, I, and I think it is really um, in simple terms, people think, Oh, it's presenting on the outside. So it's just an outside problem, Mm -hmm. right? You kind of have to go deeper, use a little bit of the critical thinking, going like, okay, what does my skin need? And sometimes it's nutrients too. That can really play a big role. Yeah. So what are the main causes, would you say, of eczema and psoriasis? I know that's a super broad question. I know that as a dietitian, if someone asked me that, that would absolutely, you know, (laughs) I would just kind of be paralyzed because I'm like, oh my gosh, where would I even start? But maybe you can kind of just definitely talk about the gut connection and and also just areas in your practice that you see are more prevalent. Yeah. So to simplify it, because there's really, everyone wants to put a pretty bow on it. Like, okay, what's the cause and how do I solve it? Of course, it's not that simple, but if I really had to simplify it, because that's what people like to hear (laughs) with, so I'll make the distinction between eczema and psoriasis. So eczema presents usually as dry, rashy skin. Like I said, in lighter skin tones, it can be red in darker skin tones. It's a lot harder to diagnose, but it will be of a darker pigment. Just think of like someone who maybe has a sunburn. Um, But the the skin is more scaly and patchy and rough. Now with psoriasis, the skin proliferates very, very fast and there can be plaques. Well, there's actually different subtypes of eczema and different subtypes of psoriasis. So I won't go into the details because I know that's not really a dermatology (laughs) uh, podcast, but with uh, psoriasis, the skin proliferates a lot faster. So normal skin turnover would be maybe 
about a month, like 28 days is what they say, 28 to 40 days, but the skin can actually turn over in four days. And so sometimes the body is not able to uh, shed those skin cells very fast. So then you have this buildup and there can be large um, patches of skin that's just really rough and scaly. And, uh, and underlying issues are inflammation in both conditions. Mm -hmm. Now, the inflammation triggers in eczema versus psoriasis tend to overlap when it's sometimes it comes to stress and alcohol. I do find very heavy correlation there. Mm -hmm. Now, with eczema, it's more uh, allergies, actually, too. Psoriasis, surprisingly not. Psoriasis, a lot of my psoriasis clients come to me without any food allergies. Um, with eczema, there is a skin barrier dysfunction. So I find, and I actually did a post on this, and a lot of people commented and agreed. They were like, wow, I didn't realize this. My post was, is, your, is scratching making your food allergies worse? Hmm. And there's actually a recent article that was published in Today's Dietitian and there is research on this quote unquote, we've heard of leaky gut. So there's mm -hmm. something called leaky skin. And the thought is that um, as someone who is a ch child who might have broken skin barrier when they're very young, maybe they do have this genetic predisposition for eczema, um, also known as atopic dermatitis. I just want people to be aware that both terms are the same thing. Atopic dermatitis is the scientific word for it. For eczema. So a child might have a broken skin barrier. And instead of that food protein or particle going through the mouth and into the gut, the first exposure might be through skin. Mm. If it's skin is broken. And there's this hypothesis that now this leaky skin has evolved into a food allergy. So mm. your body might be recognizing it as an invader. And and they're starting to wonder if that's the case with delayed adult food allergies as well. So I do find a heavy correlation with food allergies and broken skin barrier. A lot of people will say, and they've said it in the comments, it's like, that's so interesting. When my skin's doing better, I flare less to foods. And so that is my number one clue that food is really not the issue. I mean, aside from maybe like some spicy foods, I'll find uh, it's a hit or miss with eggs, wheat, and and dairy. It really is like a, it's a toss up. I, I don't tell everybody, you know, you will have to avoid these things for life. If anything, I'm like, please, let's not avoid a lot of these things because you really can develop an anaphylactic reaction to some of these foods. I actually have someone right now who avoided dairy for years, didn't have an issue with dairy, just thought she would eliminate it. And then guess what? She has a severe food allergy now when she reintroduces it. Her body just stopped recognizing it as something safe to eat. So I work with people through also a food freedom approach. Like, yes, let's we can eliminate certain foods and trial it. And I'm going to guide you through it safely to make sure, you know, you are getting adequate nutrients. You're not, you know, becoming malnourished. And we can do that for about uh, four to six weeks. But then I really do like to do a phased in, uh, reintroduction approach to many of my clients. So like I said, with eczema, if we can actually focus on the skin barrier, protecting the skin barrier first, I find we don't really need to do a lot of food eliminations. Mm. Now with psoriasis, it's interesting because they will say um, like, oh, nightshades trigger my, my flares or some spicy foods. 
So the nightshades might be a trigger for certain people. It's not really all nightshades. I really just find it sometimes to be the tomatoes. Mm. Tomatoes are just like this really funky food. Um, I have no answers as to why. Um, with eczema, some some of the research might show, you know, salicylates or histamine mm. releasing foods might be issues, but that's not the case for psoriasis. Psoriasis, I do find it be some uh, to be some gut stuff going on too. Um, especially when someone says, you know, my psoriasis flared right after I had a strep infection. Mm. <laughs> that is actually very common and it's being shown in the research. I do use functional uh, stool testing in my practice on both clients, um, both subgroups, and both actually do end up having high levels of strep bacteria overgrowth and staphylococcus bacteria Mm. overgrowth. I do see that. I I asked the question on my intake form, psoriasis or eczema, and I'm by no means an expert in the skin field at all, but I do, I've made that connection. And it's so interesting because I didn't know the part you mentioned about the skin barrier. I had a client just this week who was saying, she was itching her leg. And she said, when I, she's like, I ate a certain food and then my leg got itchy. So I itched it and then it got worse. And then she said the second time she did it, she ate the food, but she didn't itch her legs and it was fine. So you're saying that like the itching is actually spreading it and making it worse. Yeah. It's and the, the nuances to the research has not been ironed out yet, but I am finding it so common. There is a leaky skin and leaky gut connection. Mm. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't really know yet, but I do have a hypothesis now that it is maybe some leaky skin stuff. Mm. So it can protect the skin barrier. Because as a dietitian, I want you to be on the most liberalized diet possible. We do not want you on a restrictive diet. So if I can not have to eliminate a lot of foods and protect your skin barrier first, which I would recommend you highly go to a paramedical esthetician if you can to audit your skincare routine. They look at skin differently than a dermatologist, which is what I learned after working with um, some paramedical estheticians. So they have a different certification. Similar to, um, you know, a dietitian versus a nutritionist, they do go through more schooling. Mm -hmm. They do sit in some doctor's offices or they have med spas. And they look at the uh, epidermis and they study that really heavily and how to make it uh, function. So the skin barrier function is really important in their work and how to, of course, make it look aesthetically pleasing because they're in the field of aesthetics. Um, So I find that working with someone instead of guessing with different products that are made for the general mass public is going to be much better in your skin recovering because you're just playing with like a chemistry experiment on your skin. You're trying this cleanser, you're trying this, um, you know, oil and this product. So it is like a chemistry experiment that's really damaging your, your acid mantle. So the pH of your skin is very, very important. They do show that at least in eczema patients, the pH level is more alkaline and there is actually a skin microbiome. And for your skin microbiome to be happy, it needs to be at a more acidic pH, believe it or not. So acid is not really bad. It actually kills bacteria. So when you have certain products, especially now with soaps, that's really more alkaline and that's really breaking down the skin barrier. So I say a lot of times, let's see what we can do and like reduce your skincare routine from like the 10 products that most people show up with down to like maybe three and really just work from there. 
Okay. So that's, that's one of your recommendations is because you mentioned kind of improving the skin barrier. So it sounds like meeting with a professional, mm -hmm. um, getting your skincare routine to be really simple. Um, you know, this is great news for me. I don't have a skincare routine. So this is awesome to hear that it's, it's actually a good thing to keep things simple. And um, what are other ways to improve that barrier? Are there other ways like nutritionally, or is it really just more so of, you know, from a topical standpoint? So topically right now, what is out on the market, a lot of people are finding is just not helpful. There's steroid creams that thin out the skin. So when you thin out the skin and you're suppressing the immune system with immunosuppressants, you're, you're actually like um, setting yourself up to like, um, it's, it's a struggle to basically get out of, right? So if you're giving a steroid cream that thins the skin to a person who's scratching their skin, you're breaking that that skin barrier. And it's called the um, scratch itch cycle, basically. Right. So I tell a lot of people, you know, if you're going to use anything topically, medicinal honey has been shown in the research, but I'm not saying go get grab a jar of honey. There's actually uh, Manuka honey bandages that are medical grade. And I know this because I'm actually on the skin um, care wound team at my nursing home. So I'm a clinical dietitian by day. And then I see my private practice clients at night. Um, so you know, I never thought I would learn as much as I did as um, going into long-term care facilities. I always said I would never work in a nursing home before just because it just breaks my heart. And when I was going through my darkest times with topical steroid withdrawal, which is a side effect of using topical steroids, um, you can go to itsand.org to learn about this. There's videos on it. It's a nonprofit organization trying to educate the medical community um, on sometimes these medications that are prescribed, um, you look like a burn victim. And that's actually what ended up happening to me. I just mm -hmm. had full body oozing. And so, so with, uh, so with this condition, really a lot of times showers can burn and it's really, really hard. Even psoriasis clients, it, when they're at the worst flares, they really just skin so hot. And most people are just like living in dead sea salt fats. So that can be really calming. Dead sea salt, like salt has a lot of great minerals. You know, um, we think of salt was demonized years ago. Like don't eat salt and all this stuff. But we know how, like magnesium has so many benefits mm -hmm. and it, like internally and externally. So I use that with my clients a lot with helping with um, their skin barrier. So topically, like I said, the dead sea salt baths, you could do um, medicinal honey bandages sometimes, um, working with a paramedical esthetician who really knows how to treat skin that's maybe is recovered from chemical peels, I would say. Because if you go to some paramedical estheticians, if they know how to work with, it, they might only work with acne and that's not what you're trying to do with um, eczema or psoriasis. You really want to work with someone who knows how to use like red light therapy, for example. Mm. So red light therapy has been really shown to be beneficial. So that's some of the external things you can work on. And internally, protein is the most important thing to helping with skin. With psoriasis, there is uh, research for vitamin A, both topical and oral. Um, but the key nutrients or the key players when it comes to uh, healthy skin is a vitamin A, vitamin C. It's a precursor to collagen. No, you do not need to um, supplement with collagen. I think it's a great addition if you are at least meeting your protein needs. And I do say minimum would be 20 grams of protein per meal 
I just find a lot of people are not having enough protein. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's funny because I asked a poll on my Instagram the other day, you know, did you flare after going plant-based? Did your skin flare after going on a plant-based diet? And it was really 50-50 because I do find it commonly where people think going on a plant-based diet is really, really healthy. Mm. But what's missing a lot of times is they're not getting the adequate amount of protein that they need. Or with, with eczema patients, at least, there is a high amount of histamine releasing foods that can cause itch. And histamines are not necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of nature's a natural chemical. But if your body cannot clear it out properly, yes, you might get, you know, itching from strawberries, for example, or from avocados or bananas, seemingly unharming or innocent foods to eat. So I I, I find that when they increase the intake of plant-based foods, you really want to focus on maybe some non-histamine releasing foods if you have eczema, if you think that's an issue. So sweet potatoes high in vitamin A. It has over 500% of your daily value for vitamin A. Vitamin C foods would be things like peppers or broccoli. Um, I think it's also really important to have some really great B vitamins because those are great for your gut. So B vitamins like uh, B2, B6 is really, really important. So you can get that in chickpeas, um, oats, for example. Selenium is a really powerful antioxidant. Um, And it's a precursor to glutathione. I do find a lot of my clients with skin issues need liver support, not liver Mm. detoxification. That is a different thing. You don't want to be doing liver like cleanses is, I think, um, a very popularized thing right now. But some people can feel worse on them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My I just had a client actually. She had just gone through the medical medium diet, and the two biggest things she said were her gut health felt worse and her skin flared up worse. So I think everything you're saying, I 100% agree with. Yeah, it's it's so individualized. That's the thing. For some people, they might find the approach works for them, especially if they're coming off of a you know, like they say, a sad diet, a sad American diet. Mm-hmm. Sure, if you come off of processed foods and you go on to some whole foods that maybe medical medium is recommending, it's great. But then let's look at some underlying stuff that's happening. Maybe you just like introduced fiber way too fast and you had some gut dysbiosis, maybe like, you know, an imbalance of good and bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just threw off the flora and it went, hey, well, let's slow down. So yeah, I do see that happening. A lot. Zinc is also another really important nutrient too. Yeah. So you mentioned selenium. So definitely I talk about Brazil nuts a lot, you know, one to two Brazil nuts a day, you get your daily value. Um, Zinc, pumpkin seeds. I talk about pumpkin seeds all the time. Um, Any other nutrients that you would say are really important? Yeah. So I don't recommend Brazil nuts to my eczema patients because there's, because they're so highly allergic to nuts. A lot of them. That's the nuances I want to tell every dietitian. It's like what you think is obviously a a blanket recommendation. You have to think about your population. And it's so, it really is hard to work with eczema clients. With the psoriasis clients, they don't have the food allergies, like I said. So you can recommend the Brazil nuts. And two is definitely going to meet their needs. But yeah, with with my eczema clients, Um, So how they can get it is going to be turkey, beef, chicken, um, brown rice are going to be those selenium sources. If they can have fish, then I would say halibut 
because Halibut has um, upwards of 60 to 70% of their daily value needs for selenium. So it's just a touch and go with, with that population. So they should definitely be working with someone who's aware of all the top, top not top eight allergies anymore. Did you know uh, sesame has now been added to the top? Yes, I did see that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So awesome. So that's great. I think it's really important for people to kind of hear about some of these foods and especially hear about collagen. I think it's become really popular and, um, you know, collagen, I always say to clients, like you said, great source of protein. So if it's going to help you get your protein in, but another thing that I see a lot of issue with is the histamine intolerance. And so, as you mentioned, there's so many different nuances. With and no it. bone broth. I actually would not recommend bone broth to anyone who has histamine intolerance or kombucha. It's yep. these fermented foods that we're constantly told are so good for you. And they really, really are. But if you have gut issues. They're not. They're not. Yeah, they, and, and I can actually attest to this. This was before I was a dietitian. I was like, oh, kombucha. I keep hearing about it. It's so great. And I had kombucha. And I flared like a red lobster. Mm-hmm. It was like the craziest thing, kind of similar to like if someone has, you know, a glass of wine, I got so stuffy in my nose, everything was watering. And then I put two and two together after I, you know, I became a dietitian like this really makes sense. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. I used to drink kombucha all the time and then had horrible gut issues at one point. And I remember I drank just the tiniest bit of kombucha And my face was like ghost white. I was super nauseous. And I remember going into work that day and I can't tell you how many people asked me if I was feeling okay. Like it must've been so apparent as to how horrible I felt from drinking it. And I did a, it actually prompted me to now thinking back on it, I did a TikTok video on it of like, you know, people telling people to drink kombucha because it's good for you. And a lot of people, you can feel a lot worse. So it's, you have to fix the underlying cause before you start incorporating some of these foods. And then also know that some people just don't tolerate these foods and that's okay. It's really about finding what's individualized and personalized to you. Absolutely. hundred percent. That's awesome. So there's probably a lot of different treatments out there. I mean, we talked, well, we talked about, so leaky skin. Um, Can we talk a little bit more about specifics of gut health and kind of like the link between leaky gut and psoriasis and eczema and um, some other underlying things that maybe you can talk about that you see in your um, stool testing and I can kind of weigh in there as well. Yeah. So like I said, there is a high prevalence of streptococcus and staphylococcus aureus bacteria that's overgrown there. I do find secretory IgA also very low, which is an immune marker. Um, So a lot of times if I'm going to go in with any kind of intervention, I start slow. So Saccharomyces boulardii is a really great um, spore-based probiotic You do have to be careful with some of the probiotics. They can, of course, be histamine liberators. There is research that shows uh, lactobacillus rhamnosus, LGG, is really beneficial for eczema. There's a couple strains, which I'm going to just butcher for for psoriasis, Um, but they have um, like a broad spectrum. Getting broad spectrum uh, probiotics in is going to be really great there too. Um, I really think people are under eating fiber. Mm. So when it comes to that, if we can get more fiber in the diet, great. If we, if we can't, what do, what do we get out of uh, 
fiber foods, right? We get these byproducts, short chain fatty acids like butyrate. So I will do some kind of supplementation with short chain fatty acids actually um, with my clients and they do see some improvement. Um, immunoglobins also is shown in the research to help at least with eczema. Um, there's some budding research on bile acid therapy for psoriasis, although I'm still, I still have not used that as an intervention, but the main key with gut health is digestion. Are you digesting your food properly? Because that's where it really all starts. I tell many people like, we're not going to really, I don't like giving people a list of foods they can't have because that is the fastest way you can create an eating disorder. Uh, I really tell people to focus on the key nutrient foods, like I mentioned, like the vitamin A, C, B2, B6, selenium, zinc, even omegas, um, prebiotic foods, so your garlic, your onions, artichoke, um, asparagus, those sorts of foods. Let's kind of bring in a variety with, in, uh, with the conjunction of the protein. I tell people PFF is your BFF, so protein, fats, and fiber. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way to remember it. Um, and if we can start getting that going and really mindfully chewing our food, because if you, if you just think about it, your, your stomach does not have teeth. So if you, if you can help your stomach out, right, by chewing your food to an applesauce or ground texture, you're really helping your body to downstream, you know, absorb the nutrients that, that you're eating. Others like, what's the point? You're such a waste, right? <laughs> You you are not what you eat. You're what you absorb. I can say that over and over again. People got to drill it in there that you can eat all the healthy foods. You can eat kale and carrots and zinc and selenium. But if your gut is unhealthy, you have dysbiosis. If you have leaky gut, you cannot properly absorb and utilize all of the beneficial things. And another thing too, that I notice a lot of people will start the day and they'll say like, I started with a celery juice and a smoothie. And I'm like, well, what'd you have after that? Oh, well, I didn't eat lunch till like two or three. And then the downstream effect is they start having binges. They binge eat at night. And it's not like they're binging on a salad. Of course not. Their body wants highly calorically dense foods. So then they reach for the chips, right? And they reach for a lot of like highly processed foods because their body just wants to eat um, foods that will give them the quickest amount of energy, glucose, sugar, right? And that's actually what's keeping them sometimes in this rut, this skin inflammation rut. So I'm like, if you wanna have a snack, go for it, but let's have it with a balanced meal or some protein with it. Let's start your day off right. You know, having those 20 grams of protein, having a little bit of, you know, fiber from maybe fruit, because that's, you know, a lot of people will have fruit in the morning. So that's your fiber source or maybe some oats, right? You can do some overnight oats with some chia seeds. That's a really, really great way to kind of like start the day if you want something very light. Because um, a lot of people will say they're not hungry in the morning, but you can't be hungry in the morning if you had maybe a thousand calories at night, your stomach's still full in the morning. Or if all you're drinking is coffee, which is an appetite suppressant and your cortisol levels are through the roof. And um, so you, you said you start very slow, you start with a slow approach. And I know you mentioned all these supplements, but I just am kind of imagining that the way that you're working here is you're starting with the essentials, right? So it sounds like you're getting your clients to kind of eat regular balanced meals and then focusing on those essentials and maybe supporting the body through supplements. Is that right? 
Yes, definitely. So eating every four to six hours to regulate, you know, your blood sugar. So they're, we're decreasing inflammation, decreasing that cortisol stress hormone in your body. And then just working from there, I do find a lot of my, my clients do need supplements. Um, especially if you have an autoimmune condition, you're just, you're, you're just like putting your foot on the gas pedal at a hundred miles an hour. You do really burn through a lot of your energy reserves really, really fast. And unless you're eating a lot of food or you know how to, unless you're like maybe working, like you're a dietitian or very like knowledgeable, even then sometimes coaches need coaches, right? You, you do need someone to be your outside eye to be like, okay, you're hitting all your needs, then you don't need supplements. But I do find some people do need that little extra support um, to get them through the, you know, that hump, that barrier. Yeah. You mentioned omega-3s too. You know, there's like you mentioned the food allergy aspect of it. We find omega-3s in those high fat fish. And so if you're either allergic to fish or you don't like it, I always say to my clients, they'll be like, I don't like it. And I'm trying to force myself to like it. I always say to them, like, listen, you don't need to force yourself to like something like food should definitely be enjoyed. And so taking a supplement can be really beneficial. Now, a lot of algae, you can do an algae um, omega three. If you either are vegan or you're allergic to fish, you can't do fish oil. You can do an alcohol based um, oil. And the other thing is I'm finding in my practice, it's not one of those supplements that I reach for first to be quite honest. Like I said, it's like, can we just make sure you're digesting your food and hitting your protein needs first? Mm -hmm. Because then the the omegas are just like a bonus there. Mm -hmm. I don't ever see it um, take the hot or, you know, be like the the quick fix, so to speak, really from people. So I don't don't push that one on a lot of people if they don't have to. Yeah, I think bottom line is, is none of the supplements are likely going to be a quick fix for anybody (laughs) in terms of anything when it's nutrition, skin, gut related. Um, Now, these are some really awesome tips that I think people are hopefully taking away from this. Um, What are some of the common medications that are used to treat these conditions? And as we know, there's, there's side effects that come with them. Are they effective? Like if someone is maybe they're, they can work with a dietitian like yourself. They're working on improving their skin. Um, now is there a benefit to having some sort of topical in combination with it? Can you just speak more to the medication side of things? Sure. So most people will be aware that, um, they're, the topical, um, methods are usually some kind of a steroid or an immunosuppressant like protopic Although there is a black box warning on protopic as an immunosuppressant, um, as it can cause cancer because it's suppressing the immune system, they have started to roll out biologics. Um, so the most recent one is Dupixent. It's a injection. It's very, very expensive. It's almost like $50,000 therapy wow. um, for eczema annually. And that one is an IL-4 inhibitor. So it doesn't suppress the immune system. It just kind of blocks the interaction kind of like think of like a soccer game like how a goalie blocks like the soccer ball from getting in it's like no you can't come in here so a lot of times what the biologic will do is it'll block that um, inflammatory reaction from happening now what they're finding though is um some people are just not responding so i think the research still needs to be done um to find out the different subgroups i think they need to really uh teeter out the different phenotypes of 
who responds to what, mm -hmm. because they really are trying to get away from the steroids and the immunosuppressants because it's taking a lot of people's um, side effects. So thin skin, hair loss, they really don't need, to, they should not be on it for longer than two weeks, but there's people who are on it for years. And that's what happened really to me. I stopped steroid use. I actually went on an immunosuppressant and then it, it was at the effect of my immune system too. So that's, um, that's kind of like with eczema and then with psoriasis, there's also other, um, other medications like methotrexate, hmm. which really is hard on the liver. Um, so you have to get um, liver enzyme tests done with psoriasis. You can have elevated like ALTs, um, ASTs. So you really, really got to be careful with, with that medication. So those are, those are the topical options. A lot of people end up coming to me because they are kind of at the end of the road. They don't want to go on the biologic medications because they're so costly. Like I said, at least $50,000 sometimes. Um, they don't know what the long-term side effects are because they are so new. It has helped some people out. It really has like given them their life back. They can, you know, go out and leave the house now. They can wear shorts and show their arms, you know, but for some people, it's just an unknown and, you know, being scared very much like what's going on with the world right now. There is a vaccination that people are like, do I take it? Do I not? Like, am I going to grow a third arm? We don't know. So people do come to me and say like, is there any natural way we can like at least help me taper off the medications? Mm -hmm. So um, that's really what I help people with, with doing really with skin barrier support too, is like, if we can get your inflammation down, like I said, your, your immune system is what's really affected here, right? These are autoimmune conditions and at least up to 80% of your immune systems in your gut. So let's kind of focus on your gut so if we focus on your gut immune system and work it, work on your skin barrier, then we can at least help move the needle forward just a little bit. I tell a lot of people, you know, this might not resolve, this might not really resolve your symptoms hundred percent. Okay. But my guarantee usually is like, okay, we're going to at least move the needle and people are just happy with maybe even 50% improvement. Like they're like, I can live with this. This yeah. is great. And in turn, we just improved also your nutrition because that's the foundation still to everything. Nutrition should always be a foundation um, to anything and everything. So that's really how um, I go about my approach with, with my clients. That's awesome. That's great. And I love that you use stool testing because, you know, I've had so many clients where had we not done the stool testing, like we would have had no idea that this person had candida overgrowth or some sort of pathogen that need to be taken care of. And so it's like, we don't want to have the clients obviously go through extra testing, but sometimes those tools can be absolutely invaluable. Yeah. And it's, you, you brought something up that's really important. The candida. I usually don't recommend a candida diet. I don't know about you, Erin. I don't do the, no, I don't do the diets. Um, typically that a lot of people will, I just put a client on um, some supplements to help with the candida overgrowth. And she came to me and she was like, you didn't tell me to like cut out a bunch of foods. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't do a, like if, you know, we treat it, we can treat it without having to put you on a restrictive diet. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I think that was honestly more of like a trend thing. Like, oh, you have candida. And then people were just all of a sudden cutting out sugar and there was no actual antifungal protocol in combination with that. And then right. they were just restricting. And, and then as soon as they would introduce sugar again, because they're trying to just live a normal life. You have to. It right. Sugar, right? Your body thrives on glucose. 
Right. So a, a big trend that I really am seeing marketed to the skin population, and I feel like I just need to do this as a public service announcement, is like the carnivore diet. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. Yeah, I did a, a blog post on this, actually. I mean, my sister was the one who who texted it to me and she said, you know, you should do a post on the carnivore diet. And I said, I said, Catherine, I don't think anyone's even heard of it. I don't. And then I started hearing about it more. I'm like, wait, people are people are actually doing this. This is real. And you know, what's really funny, because I never want people to feel like they're being gaslighted, like, oh, yeah, right, it worked for you. Because like, that's the thing. I do hear stories where people are like, the carnivore diet worked for me. But then I'm like, but why? 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 Yeah. Why? It's usually a gut issue. Right. Because you're, you're cutting out all of your triggers. Like, but why do we have those triggers? Like, we're not, we're literally just taking out the plant versus actually treating the soil. It's just, it's ineffective. Yeah, or like you're, t- you're trying to pull out the weeds, but they're just going right. to keep going back in. Right? Exactly. Yes. Much and- better analogy. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking out the tree. I got you. I got you with the analogies. <laughs> no, but, and that really is a thing with, and the thing is I used to be a believer of like grains trigger me because they did. That was true for me. I went on autoimmune paleo and it worked for a short time. A lot of these diets work for a very short time, but you're not really treating the root. So if you want to go on um, these diets for like, you know, just for band, like just quick relief, I would just really highly recommend you understand that you need to work with a practitioner if you cannot reintroduce these foods back in, because you're going to dig yourself into a hole. And what I'm finding with certain people with um, on the carnivore diet is they now cannot reintroduce fibers back into their diet. It's very, very hard. And if you look at a stool test, it's like a desert. It's like an abandoned, like mall, like, parking lot. It's like where the good mall during COVID is what it is. It's just deserted. Like there's those dust bowls that are just (laughs) rolling through. Like we need to get you back to where you can introduce foods back in and digest it. And that is really, really hard. A lot of times people do develop SIBO. I was like, Mm. you've got so much food. You didn't use those muscles anymore to kind of push food down. Then people just go on multiple um, fasts. And I'm like, this is not what your body needs. Your yeah. body food. It's like a fast is not going to fix this. Yeah. I was on a run today this morning and I'm just thinking like, I have these, these thoughts while I'm running and I get so passionate about it. It's like, you know, we, we jump from I'm eating breakfast and then I'm not eating all day. And then I'm binge eating at night to now I have digestive issues. I have skin issues. So now, now maybe I should try intermittent fasting. And it's like, like we're, we're skipping like 30 million steps and where you could actually not be miserable instead eat normal balanced meals throughout the day, which obviously it takes work. Like that doesn't, it's not as easy as saying, oh, I'll eat for eight hours fast for however many, like it's not obviously as simple as that. It does require work and knowledge, but quality of life. I mean, that's what we're all about, right? We're, we're living on this earth and we're here to enjoy it. And, you know, if you want to go on a restrictive diet and that makes you happy and that fulfills you in life, that's, that's your choice. But I can tell you that everybody that walks into my office does not feel that way. No, I mean, I ended up developing, you know, severe disordered eating patterns 
because I was just reading everything that was online. And for a short time, they really were helping. I want people to understand that I was feeling fine on these diets for a very short time and my symptoms resolved. But the moment I tried to introduce these foods back in, it was just a no-go. So it's, yeah, that's, that's my biggest thing with a lot of, a lot of these, these diets. If you can, like I said, eat protein, fats, and fiber every four to six hours. And another thing is like with the intermittent fasting, the studies, I don't know if you know this, were really done on men. Like yeah. a lot of the there studies was were- like eight men in the study total. And it's like, oh, that's a good sample size. And you wonder why women are struggling. Like you're like women's bodies were not meant really to do intermittent fasting. Like no. maybe these these success stories are really coming from the men because I know the women, when it comes to hormones and everything, oh gosh, you, you, you need to be eating balanced. <laughs> our FSH and our LH are pulsing first thing in the morning. They're telling our ovaries to make estrogen and progesterone. So let's starve ourselves during that time. That's a really good idea. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Fast while you sleep. That's always my recommendation. Like, you know, that's, I digress. Um, <laughs> we could we could go a whole topic on that one. Um, so, what would be your biggest takeaways for the listeners? I I love the quote that you have on your Instagram, and I'm just going to pull it here. It's not about doing anything perfectly. It's about doing a lot of good things consistently. I love that. That's beautifully said. Yeah, and and that's really it. That's really it. If food is causing you to stress out. If it's causing you to lift, like uh, leave like a party or say no to an event, cause you that stress, like it's not worth it at the end. You know, food is meant to be enjoyed. It's really about nourishing your body and also finding things to focus on outside of your skin. I know that's so, so hard um, for people to have that body acceptance. There is a big body acceptance or movement right now. Um, especially in the weight world, but I really try to hone in on that with, with my population too. Just loving where your skin is at. If you wake up in the morning and you have a flare, okay, you have a flare, right? It doesn't define, what are the other qualities that you love about yourself, mm. right? Resilient or be thankful too. It's like, you know, maybe what to do in that moment in your flare, be grateful. Like, what do I have? I have a bath that I can draw. I can do a Dead Sea salt bath, right? I have clean sheets, you know, that I can sleep on, you know, finding the little things in, in life and, you know, making it more than you're just more than your skin. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. I feel like we, we have to end on that. We have to end on that, but I, I need to know the listeners need to know, where can they find you? Um, your, your Instagram page, which is incredible. Um, but w- your website, can you just direct us where we can find more information? Yes. So my Instagram is gut.skin.nutritionist. And then my website is gutskinnutritionist.com. Excellent. Well, thank you. Oh, no. Most important question. The <laughs> most important question of the episode is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? It has to go back to Thanksgiving. I'm just all about food and family. Those were some of my most cherished moments. And my mom's such a great cook. I only hope that this Thanksgiving, (laughs) you know, we all get to celebrate it together. 
Absolutely. Well, I hope the same for all of us. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to also have family to celebrate it with and the holidays are a really special time. So thank you again, Rocky, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, your expertise, your knowledge. Thank you for sharing it with us all. And I will be talking to you soon. Thank you so much, Erin. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your gut health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, you can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find my gut healing guide and my dessert cookbook, which is a compilation of delicious gut-friendly recipes. I've gotten so much good feedback. It's been over a year since the rewire your gut has come out and I cannot tell you how many people it has helped thus far. Thanks for tuning in and as always don't forget to share the health.